Let's pray. Father, what we need, us, what we need, what our nation needs, what our world needs, is to see you and to experience and encounter you in such a way that we would be filled with wonder, amazement, awe. God, I fear that we are lacking in our churches and in our lives all of you. We are not filled with awestruck wonder as often as we should. We do not acknowledge you to be the way maker, the miracle worker, and the promise keeper in our lives and in our world as often as we ought. You are God. You are all glorious, all powerful, all knowing. You are the authority for the entire creation. And though there are many who do not acknowledge that now, we know that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to your glory that Jesus is Lord. Father, as your people today, May we leave here and may the world begin to take notice that the people of Glory Fellowship do stand in awe of you. We seek to obey you and to honor you with every aspect of our lives. That we are a people of prayer. That we are a people of your word. That we are a people who have some substance to us. And that does not come of our own. It comes from you and from your word and from the filling and overflow of your Holy Spirit within us. God, today as we come to your word and we see what Jesus teaches us about Christian prayer from Matthew 6 as we continue to walk through your sermon on the mount as it's known. Father, I pray that you would pierce our hearts and convict us. I pray that you would remind us that the invitation to come before the throne of grace with confidence is there because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And so, Father, may these moments be magnificent moments. May they be weighty moments. May we understand that this is the word of the Lord today. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. As we continue our world, walk through our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, my prayer is that you have been challenged in these sermons and in this series, that the Lord has challenged you personally in some specific areas of your life where maybe you weren't living like a kingdom citizen ought to live, and that God has revealed to you, just as he's revealed to me in my life, uh, in preparing and in preaching these sermons, some areas that need to look more like Jesus so that we can be a powerful witness in the world. Today we're going to look at the first part of this teaching. We are not going to try to look through the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. 
We're going to look kind of at the preface of the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus says leading up to this model prayer that he's given us. But I would like to read verses 5 through 15. And what we do not finish today and what we don't cover, we will look at when we meet together next Sunday morning. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May God honor the reading and teaching and receiving of his word today. You can be seated. Albert Moeller has written a book, The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down, that I am currently reading. And it is about the Lord's Prayer and he says this, the Lord's Prayer takes less than 20 seconds to read aloud, but it takes a lifetime to learn. Is that your experience? We can read through it. Most of us can recite it and we can do it in a very short amount of time. But praying this prayer in the fullness and in the spirit of Jesus takes a lifetime to learn. I am still learning how to pray. I am thankful for what God has taught me in regards to, to what it is to pray and to approach the throne of grace with confidence, and yet I am still learning. Anyone who says that they have arrived, that they, they fully know what it is to pray, is a person that I don't want to hear pray. I think that we are all learning what it is to pray. I want to be a man known as a prayer warrior, a man that people come to uh, because they know that I pray. I want our church body to be known as a church that prays, that relies upon the Lord, that depends upon his power and his wisdom and his leadership for us making disciples of all nations and carrying out his commission to us. I don't want to be a church that tries to do it in our own strength. I don't want to be a church that tries to do things in our own power or because this is the way that we've done things before. I truly want our church to be a church that is set on fire because we are a church that prays together, a church that seeks the Lord. John Knox, who was a part of the Scottish Reformation, he was a pastor, but he was known as being a man of prayer, says this about him. He was in prison, he was enslaved, and thought he was uh, constantly under the threat of persecution. He constantly lived out his theology, believing that one man who spends time with God is always in the majority. As such, the prayers of this one man became a great threat to the throne of Scotland. 
During the 16th century, during the Scottish Reformation, Knox's ministry of preaching and prayer were so well known that the Roman Catholic Mary, the Queen of Scots, is is, is reputed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. All that that would be said of us in our day, that it would be said of our young people, That we are raising up a generation of young people, kids, teenagers, college students who see their leaders praying, who see them uh, gripping the throne of heaven, so to speak, begging the Lord to move and that they would learn how to pray and that we would raise up a generation of prayer warriors. As we look at this passage today and we see this is not everything, obviously, that the scriptures teach about prayer But it does teach us some fundamental things about prayer that I want us to begin to unpack today. And so keep your Bibles open and we'll start in verse 5 where where Jesus says that he expects us to pray. What's the word again? We looked at this word last week in regards to giving alms or giving to the needy. Jesus says what? And when you pray. Now, we said last week as we were working through this that when we got to chapter 6, we will see that the almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, they are woven together in Jesus' teaching here. And he's talking about hypocrisy and how we do these things to be seen and to make a name for ourselves or to feel superior to other people. And so last week when Jesus was talking about giving to the needy, he says, and when you give, he expects his people, those who are following him, to give because our God is a giving God. Jesus is a generous master and Lord. And so he expects his people to give. Likewise, he says here, not if you pray or when you get around to praying he says when you pray friends Jesus expects us to pray and it for some of you it may seem like it should go without saying that we ought to be people of prayer that we ought to be a church who prays but today I think more than ever before we are seeing this this slow movement away from prayer because prayer does not entertain prayer does not uh, touch us in, in, the, in the places uh, of feeling and, and emotions at times that we so often experience uh, in this world, that, that this false type of spirituality. Prayer gets down and requires hard work. Prayer requires focus. Prayer requires discipline. You want to see a godly person, a godly church? Find the person who is praying. And who devotes their life to prayer. And what we are seeing in many respects, even within the churches, is a movement away from prayer. Ed Litton, who's pastoring a church down in Mobile, we've had him speak here uh, when we were doing our Monday Mania a few years ago. Ed Litton wrote this. Today, with, with everything going on in our nation and with COVID, he says this is a really bad time for the church to be weak in prayer. This is a really bad time for the church to be weak in prayer. And one of the reasons I think that we are seeing so much fear, anxiety, anger, even from Christians. I think one of the reasons that we are seeing, uh, in, in some respects, a little bit of a falling away is because we haven't disciplined ourselves 
to be people who read the word and people who pray. And I'm talking about a, a prayer that's intense and passionate and personal. Instead of just treating God as the genie in the bottle that says, here's what I want and here's what I expect you to do. This is a bad time, he says, for the church to be weak in prayer. Jesus cannot fathom a Christian who does not pray. Nowhere in the scripture do we find that it is expected or even thought of that a follower of the Lord would not seek the face of the Lord often. When you and I think about our times of prayerlessness, when you and I think about our lukewarmness when it comes to corporate prayer, thinking, ah, I don't need to be a part of that. I can find something else to do. It ought to, little, it ought to startle us a little bit. It ought to cause us to begin some sense of evaluation about where we are in our walk with the Lord. We see that Jesus prayed often. He prayed when he had big decisions to make. He prayed when he didn't have big decisions to make. Often in Scripture, and sometimes we don't know the content of what he was praying, but the Gospels tell us that Jesus often withdrew to be by himself and to pray. To be with his Father. Why? Because Jesus enjoyed intimacy with his heavenly Father. He enjoyed communicating with his Father. He enjoyed hearing from his Father. He enjoyed being alone from the chaos of the world that was going around him to find assurance and direction and guidance from his heavenly Father. When you pray... John MacArthur was writing about prayer and he said that someone has said that many Christians offer their prayers like sailors use pumps only when the ship leaks. Yet prayer was the spiritual air that Jesus breathed every single moment of his life. And as kingdom citizens, followers of Christ, prayer ought to be the spiritual air that you and I are breathing every moment of our lives. We may not be tucked away in a prayer closet 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But our life ought to be lived out as a conversation with the Lord. And yes, there ought to be those times throughout the day when we really focus in on him. Calling upon him, praising him, thanking him, confessing our sins, interceding for others. We ought to be people who pray. You think about the book of Acts. You think about the, the, the early church. In a lot of respects, the early church did not have the resources that we have today in 2020 here in America. They, they, they probably didn't have the technology. They probably didn't have the ability to communicate with as many people at one time as we do. We, we know that they didn't have the ability to live stream their services like we have in our day. And yet, and yet, what we read in Acts over and over and over again is that the gospel was going forward, that disciples were being made, that they were sending out missionaries, that God was doing a great work amongst that early church. Why? Someone said it's because the book of Acts is simply a retelling of what happened in between prayer meetings. 
We see God moving. And then you back up a couple chapters and you see the people praying. And you say, ah, God is moving because the people are praying. And it's not that the people are manipulating the Lord. It's that they are earnestly desiring to see God's will be done. To see his kingdom come. To see the gospel transform lives. If we don't take anything away from the book of Acts, it ought to be this. That number one, everything that happened there is God's doing. Some of your Bibles will say that it is the acts of the apostles. It really should be the acts of God's spirit through the apostles in the early church. So number one, when we read the book of Acts, we ought to see that it is God's doing. He is making things happen. And number two, we ought to see that the early church was a praying people. They came together and prayed. They prayed privately. They were a people who understood the necessity of praying. Why is it that some believers are so much brighter in their temperament, so much holier in their lives than other people? One pastor said, I believe that the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arises from different habits about private prayer. I believe that those who are, intimate, who are not intimately holy pray very little. And those that are holy pray much. Where are you when it comes to the thermostat of your prayer? Are you praying little? Or are you praying much. Jesus says, I expect my people not only to pray, I expect them to have a desire to pray. I expect them to enjoy praying and coming and sitting at my feet, sharing with me their hurts, glorifying me as God, thanking me for my good gifts, and asking how they can best use them in the world in which we are living. Friends, we should not only be eager to pray, but we should also be eager to learn how to pray. So not only should we be eager to pray, we should constantly be eager to learn how to pray. Now, a passage that's very similar to the one that we've read this morning over in, chapter, over in Luke chapter 11, we see there that Jesus again talks about the Lord's Prayer. And he gives it as a model prayer in response to the disciples' question, Lord, would you teach us to pray? You know, John taught his disciples how to pray, and we want you to teach us how to pray. When's the last time you asked the Lord, 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 would you teach me how to be more biblical, more honoring to you in my prayer, more others focused in our prayer? Perhaps a good question that we ought to ask ourselves is this. If God were to answer every single one of the prayers that you've prayed this week, would it change anybody's life but your own? Would it change anybody else's life but your own? God, teach me to be more God-focused and others-oriented in my prayer. More spiritual in my prayer instead of so materialistic. God, don't just make things, take things back to the status quo of what I knew to be normal life. God, I pray that you would take this time in history this year, 2020, that in so many ways has been difficult. Lord, would you take this and would you cause more disciples to be made than ever before? 
Lord, would you use this time to awaken some slumbering souls to see your glory and your goodness and the salvation that's offered in Christ. Lord, would you take 2020 and would you use it as a time in my life where you remove the idols that I once held so that I can enter 2021 renewed with my focus on you and the great commission that you've given He not only expects us to have a desire to pray, he expects us to have a desire to learn how to better pray. Not that he doesn't answer our childlike prayers, not that he doesn't hear them or appreciate them, but we ought to be maturing in our prayers. Jesus says, when you pray. So not only does Jesus show us that he expects us to pray. In this text, Jesus teaches us how not to pray. Look at what he says there. When you pray, I expect you to pray. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those who are play acting. Who are giving the impression that they are super spiritual. But really all they are is whitewashed tombs. They look pretty on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. He says, don't be like these hypocrites. Those who don't pray during the week, but boy, they love praying in front of other people. And they find great joy when somebody calls on them to pray because now everybody's gonna get to hear them. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. I mentioned this parable last week, but boy, it's fitting here again. The parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how the Pharisee wanted to stand in the prominent place in the synagogue so that everybody could see just how super spiritual he was. And they may have left that day thinking that he was super spiritual, but in the eye of God, as God looked at him because God sees beyond the flesh and beyond the external and he sees into the heart he knew that that Pharisee was full of death he says they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others you want to know how not to pray don't pray to impress other people amen don't pray to impress other people you say boy that's a tension there Because when I stand up in front of my church family or stand in front of my youth group or when I pray in care groups or D groups, boy, I really don't want to say something stupid and off the wall. I don't want to be thought of as being immature in my faith. I don't want to say anything wrong. And I can respect what you're saying there. And I hear you. The desire that you have to to honor God in your prayer. But friends, you're not trying to impress other people. Just like this morning, I'm not trying to impress you in this sermon. I'm trying to do what God has called me to do. And in prayer, what he has called us to do is to focus on him intently and to speak to him as a loving heavenly father who has welcomed us to sit at his feet and speak to him. Don't try to impress people. Don't try to be, try to be so eloquent in your pr- public prayers that you miss God entirely. 
Don't try to be so beautiful in your prayers that they miss the ear of God. And you become like that Pharisee whose prayers really were only heard by himself and other people. Don't pray to impress other people. Don't pray in such a way with the motivation and the thoughts. Maybe if I pray really good, somebody will allow me to do something even bigger, even better. Maybe they'll call on me to pray again. You just be faithful to pray and speak to the Lord. Doesn't have to be long-winded. Doesn't have to be long words, big words. Speak to the Lord out of your heart. So don't try to impress people. Jesus says here, they have received their reward. Now you remember at the end of last week's sermon, when we was talking about giving to the needy, I told you that the word there, received, means to have paid in full and be given a receipt for it. That means that that transaction is finished. So the person who is giving in order to be seen and applauded by other people, the applause of people is their reward. And they're not going to get anything else. The God, God is not going to honor that type of giving. Well, the same word is used here in prayer. They have received their reward. So instead of receiving the reward of God's favor and God's smile and God's blessing on that prayer, if your motivation is to pray to impress other people, that is it. That is your reward. That's as far as your prayer goes. You have heard the, the, the expression, your prayers didn't get past the ceiling. If that is your motivation for praying, then God will not reward that. So don't pray to impress other people. And number two, don't pray to impress God. If you're praying to impress other people, you already have your reward. And then you go down to verse 7. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So these Gentiles now, it's not that they are in trying to impress other people. Now they're trying to impress God. How many of you, when you get into prayer, you use a different vocabulary than you do any other time of the week? When you're talking to others, you're gauging casual conversation. When you come to the Lord in prayer, you have to use words that you have no idea what they mean. And you utter words that you heard somebody else utter. And the truth is, they probably didn't understand what that word meant either. But it sounded good. It sounded good. It sounded impressive. And you think that if you pray with those words, that God's going to be impressed by you and maybe he's more liable to hear your prayer. Jesus says, quit offering up these empty phrases. I remember I did this one time. I was asked to take up the offering. And I was a teenager, young teenager. And so I did. I thought it was a great honor to be able to take up the offering was pleased to do it, was excited about it. Well, they asked me to pray. And in my prayer, I said, Lord, bless the gift and the giver. Now I know what that means. At the time, I had no idea what that meant. Ross, it was just a really good phrase that I had heard somebody that I respect use when they prayed over the offering. So I thought, man, I really need to use that phrase because maybe that phrase is the key that will unlock God supernaturally blessing this offering, right? And Jesus says, don't, don't offer up empty phrases. 
Don't think that God's going to hear you because of your super spiritual vocabulary. Come to the Lord with reverence, yes. But come to him with your heart and speak to him and communicate with him in that way. Jesus says, don't try to impress other people. Don't try to impress God. John Bunyan wrote this really short. He says, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than to have words without a heart. I'll say that again. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than to have words without a heart. To have no God-focused, no mission emphasis, but just to stand up and to have these flowery words and to get through a prayer, but there's no heart in them. What a terrible travesty that is. So Jesus says here, don't pray in this way. Don't pray to impress other people and don't pray thinking that you are impressing God. So how should we pray? If this is how I shouldn't pray, then how should I pray? And we're going to leave, as I mentioned earlier, the Lord's Prayer and walking through it. We're going to leave that to next Sunday. But there are some key components that Jesus teaches us about here when he says, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then when he says, don't be like the Gentiles, you need to pray knowing that your Father knows what you need before you ask him, okay? So there are some keys here to help us as we learn how to pray. And so I'm going to give them to you this morning. I've got five keys, uh, five things that Jesus models for us, not only here but in other places in the Scripture that, that ought to help us. And I, and I really have worded them in a way so that they are, they are biblically accurate, but also they apply to our contemporary setting, okay? So when we think about praying, the, the, the first thing that we should see from this text is this. We need to schedule a time and place to pray. What does Jesus say here? When you pray, so I expect you to pray, and when you do so, you need to go into your room and shut the door. And you need to pray in secret so that the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now, is Jesus saying that the only time that we can ever pray is when we go into our room? Is that the only time that we can ever offer a God-honoring prayer? That's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. We know that Jesus prayed on occasion around others. We know that in the early church they prayed in public settings. And so Jesus is not uh, asking us to be legalistic here. Jesus is teaching us the heart attitude just as he's been teaching us all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And so to take this and, and be legalistic about it and say, well, the only time that I can ever pray and that we can ever pray is when we are all locked in our rooms where nobody else is and then we pray. You can do that and be God-honoring, but we can also pray in public. It's more of a heart setting that Jesus is talking about. And if I'm going to pray publicly then necessarily I ought to have a private prayer life. Because if I'm not praying privately and I am praying publicly, I'm doing exactly what the hypocrites have been accused of here. Amen? So when I pray, I need to schedule a time and a place to pray. Schedule yourself a time and a place to pray. 
Why do we not pray as often as we should? Why don't we go through great seasons of prayerlessness as Christians? And I believe that the answer is this. It's because we don't plan to pray. I believe it is that simple. We simply do not plan to pray. I don't know who it was that said it, but somebody said that the opposite of planning is a rut. The opposite of planning is a rut. And that's where some of us find ourselves in regards to our prayer. We are in a rut. We can't find the time. We're not really engaged in it. We may offer these perfunctory prayers where, you know, I got to a meal and I know I'm supposed to pray. And so I'm just going to repeat the same prayer that I've always prayed. And I want to do it and get it over with as quickly as possible so that I can move on to the next thing because prayer is really not high on the priority list. And there may be some of you here this morning, you say, really, when it comes to prayer, I'm in a rut. And the rut is either no prayer or it's just empty prayer or it's hurried prayer. We need to schedule into our calendars, put it in your phone, a time and a place to pray. I like the illustration. I believe I used this not too long ago when we were talking about the passage from Luke 11. There are many of us that went on vacations this year, right? If you have been somewhere on a vacation, just slip your hand up, please. Okay, put your hand down. That's most everybody in here. How many of you, when you went on vacation, let's say those of you that went to the beach, how many of you, the day that you went to the beach, you woke up and you looked at your spouse and you said, let's go, to, let's go to Gulf Shores today. And let's go down there and let's spend a week. No, you didn't do that. You've probably been planning this at least a few weeks, if not a few months. Because you had to get hotel rooms. You had to figure out where you were going. You had to figure out how long you were going to stay. You had to make arrangements with your employer so that you could be off. So that you didn't lose your job when you got back from your vacation. You had to figure out, are we going to eat out, especially with COVID going on? Or are we going to purchase food and eat inside? How much money do we have? How long can we stay? How much can we spend? At least I hope that went through your minds. You planned your vacation way in advance. When Lindsay was planning our trip to the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum, when we went to Kentucky and Indiana, it was not something that we woke up on Monday morning and said, boy, this is a really good time to go. Let's just load up and everybody go. No, we had a house ahead of time. We knew which days we were going to visit. We knew how much it cost because I like to know how much is coming out of my bank account. We had plans so that Philip would be preaching that following Sunday so that I could spend that time, quality time with my family. All of these things had gone through our mind and we planned it. Why do we not do the same thing when it comes to prayer, when it comes to reading God's word on a personal level? Now there's all sorts of answers to that. Maybe it's not important to us. Maybe God's not really that important to us. Maybe we don't care about being in a spiritual rut But we need to schedule a place and a time to pray. I've just finished a book. It's called The Care of Souls. The Care of Souls. It's written by an Anglican pastor. And I don't agree with everything that's in there. But boy, he has some really heart-twisting truths. And he's talking about the pastor's prayer, prayer life. 
And he says this, and I think this is good not only for me, but for everyone in here. He says that biblical meditation and prayer that are rooted in God's word are richly rewarding, but they do not come naturally. Just like physical exercise, you will need to establish a plan and set a routine for your spiritual exercise. Friends, we do not fall into greater spirituality. We do not fall into Christ-likeness. It doesn't just happen where we wake up one morning and we say, boy, the flesh really desires some uninterrupted time with the Creator today. In fact, the flesh will fight against that. Your mind will fight against that. It takes intentionality. And so just as you would put other things in your schedule, I want to encourage you to put into your daily life a time and a place that you're going to pray. For me, I find that to be earlier in the morning when my mind is fresh before the demands and the phone calls begin. And then I get to the end of the day and I say, oh, I had not spent any time with the Lord today. Why? Because you didn't plan it. So I do it early in the morning. So schedule a time and a place to pray. Number two. And this is important. You're not going to find this in the scriptures, okay? But I believe that this is part and parcel of what Jesus is saying here about going into the room and shutting the door. And I believe that this is a contemporary nugget that we can pull from that. Number two, and this is so important. When you get to that time and place, don't bring your phone into that sacred time and space. Why? Because we need to focus. We need to focus. And if you've got your phone, or at least I know that this is the case for me. If I bring my phone and I'm trying to study God's word and I'm trying to pray, there's one of about 15 different things that's going to happen. Either number one, I'm going to receive a phone call. And then I'm going to feel like I need to take that call. But even if I don't take that call at that moment because it's a telemarketer, then I have been disrupted. My mind has been taken out of focus with the Lord and his word and it's been put on that number that I don't know, that I don't recognize. If it is somebody I know, I'm gonna talk with them and then I'm gonna spend even more time out of that. Number two, I'm gonna receive a text message or I'm gonna receive a bunch of text messages and the phone is vibrating or dinging and I feel like I need to respond in that moment. And so even if I choose not to respond, just my type of personality, and I know that some of you are the same way, it stays on your mind. I've got to respond to them when I get finished. Well, now my focus has been diverted. Number three, you're going to pick up that phone because we have become addicts to the phone. And you read for about five minutes, and then you feel like you've got to pick up your phone. And you've got to look at something. And you've got to open that app. And it's easy to become addicted to your phone. It's very difficult to be intentional about breaking that addiction. And there are a myriad of other things that can happen when you bring your phone into that sacred time and space. And some of you say, well, I use my phone as my Bible app and that's what I'm reading. Can I tell you that I am glad that we have that technology to be able to do that today? And I know that that is something that is helpful in some ways but boy, it can quickly become a distraction as well. It can quickly become a distraction. I would really encourage you to find a hardback copy of a Bible. Something with pages that you can turn so that you can leave your phone 
out of that sacred time and space. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Anybody else struggle with that? So keep your phone out of that time and space. We need to focus. We need to focus. Before we move on to the next points, I was reading in Moeller's book this week, and he, he uses the illustration from Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who lived back during the time of the Reformation, went to get a haircut, and his barber was asking him about his prayer life. Barbara was really struggling with finding the time and the words and the focus to pray. And so Martin Luther wrote a little document to his barber. And in it he says this. He says, as a diligent and good barber, you must keep your thoughts, your senses, and your eyes precisely on the hair and scissors or razor. You must not forget where you have trimmed or shaved. For if you want to talk a lot or you become distracted thinking about something else, you may well cut someone's nose or mouth or even his throat. And don't you see the parallels between that and our prayer life? Really good advice. Number three, number three, how should I pray? I should start by reading God's word. Now, many of you were here when Dr. Don Whitney was here several years ago, and he taught about praying. Did a whole weekend conference where he taught us how to have a deeper prayer life and to stay out of this prayer rut that so many of us get into. And he started every session talking about the importance of taking God's word, reading it, and turning it into prayer. Reading God's word and turning it into prayer. And some of you will say, well, I've tried that. That's very hard. It's very difficult. It's not for me. It is for you. It is for all Christians. But again, it takes discipline and intentionality to do it. The question is, do we want to deepen our prayer life? So I would encourage you, always start by reading God's word. Now, my way is not the only way to do it. But I'll tell you how I start my time in the morning. I sit down. I've got my Bible. I know what I'm reading through in my devotional time uh, for that particular period of time. And I simply ask, Lord, allow me to absorb and to receive what you want me to receive out of this text. And that's the only thing I pray to start with. And then I read. I read God's Word. I read a chapter, two chapters, three chapters. I usually read a chapter out of Proverbs, whatever particular day it is. And then I weave all that together and I turn it into a prayer that's very practical for what is going on in my life and in our world for that particular day. So open and start with your Bible. Number four, meditate on God's word. Not only read it, meditate on it. And in order to meditate on it, you've got to be focused. You can't have distractions in your prayer closet. Because to read something, how many of you have to read something two or three times in order to understand what it's saying? Okay. In order to, to read and then to meditate, in order to meditate on something, you've got to have time to chew on it. You've got to have time to regurgitate it and to chew on it some more so that it sinks down deep into the root of your soul. When I water plants in my garden, when you go out and you water, they tell you the worst thing in the world that you can do is go out and water and just hit the leaves in the top of the ground with the water. If you're going to water, you've got to water deep. That's what's best for plants. So that the water can, can go deep down in the soil and the roots can go deeper and absorb that moisture. 
The same is true for us when it comes to growing as a Christian in regards to Bible reading and prayer. We need to allow God's word, the time and space that's required in order to get deep down in us so that we understand what we're reading and then we can turn that back into a prayer. And that's number five, turn what you've read into a prayer. And you'll say, well, what about the prayer list? I've never come across a passage yet that hadn't allowed me in some way to turn that back into a prayer where I'm able to mention things and things going on in our world. When I read the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, and I think about the condition of our world right now, Lord, we need your kingdom to come. We need your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's not happening and we can't make it happen. We need you and your authority and your lordship over us. You can take any of the Psalms and to do this as well. And I am convinced that this is what Jesus is saying when he says, go into the closet, shut the door, avoid the distractions and the chaos going around you at least for a time so that when you leave that prayer closet, when you leave that time of devotion and walking and conversing and communicating with the Lord, you and I are more prepared than we would ever be to go into the mission field of our world and to make a difference. So that we aren't the ones griping and complaining because we are spiritually empty. So that we aren't the ones talking about folks and gossiping. So that we aren't the ones living in selfishness. Because we've been with a self-giving God to start our day. We are prepared to go into our world as his ambassadors and his missionaries. Christian prayer. Jesus expects us to pray. He tells us how not to pray. And then he gives us some insight at least to start with on how we should pray. As we close this morning, we're going to be singing a song. You know it well. Our team is going to come and they're going to lead us in it. I want you to view it as a prayer. Lord, I come, I confess, confess my sins, confess your holiness. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You are the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You are my one defense. You are my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Would you bow with me this morning? Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to being a person of prayer and ask the Lord, Lord, give me a hunger and a desire to pray, to know you better, to intercede for others. Lord, help me and forgive me for praying in a way that's not honoring to you, for trying to impress others or impress you. Maybe today you need to commit to some sacred time and sacred space wherever that is in your life where you are focused in on the Lord for a period of time each day so that that conversation that started in that sacred time and space continues throughout your day. Father, there's so much that we've covered here today. So much your word teaches us about prayer. Lord, we know that godliness comes with prayerfulness. That we grow in godliness 
when we are seeking your face in prayer. Father, forgive us for when our prayers are empty, for when our prayers are neglected. Forgive us for when our prayer is to impress others or seeming to impress you. Forgive us, God, for when our prayers are selfish and they're all about me, me, me. Help us to learn, not only today, but in the couple weeks ahead, what Christian prayer can and should be. As we sing today about our need for you, may we sing it as a prayer of dedication and focus this morning. Amen.